You're listening to We Can Do This, a podcast by the National Consumers League. We talk through the issues of today with the figures who have paved the way for social and economic reforms and those carrying on the fight for an equitable tomorrow. Your host for this episode is John Braille, Vice President of Public Policy, Telecommunications, and Fraud at the National Consumers League. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is John Brayo, and welcome to the National Consumers League's We Can Do This podcast. Uh, we are uh, based in Washington, D.C., uh, and this podcast is created by the National Consumers League. Uh, if you're not familiar with NCL, we are the nation's oldest consumer advocacy organization founded in 1899. Um, we are incredibly fortunate today uh, to be joined by uh, two folks who I think are, are really uh, excellently positioned to talk to us about an issue that affects millions of consumers across the country and costs billions of dollars. What I'm talking about is elder fraud or scams against older Americans. Uh, during uh, this National Consumer Protection Week, uh, this is a focus for groups like ours uh, in the anti-fraud fight who are working to educate older Americans about these scams, uh, as well as their caregivers and loved ones on what they can do uh, to have more impactful conversations uh, with their uh, with their parents, with older relatives about how to reduce their risk of fraud. And I'm uh, extremely pleased today uh, that we uh, are joined by uh, two guests. Uh, Lizette Alvarez uh, is a Washington Post contributing columnist. Uh, she previously worked at the Miami Herald, the New York Daily News, the New York Times. Uh, she, uh, If there's something newsworthy in Florida, chances are that Lizette uh, has reported on it or will soon be reporting on it. Um, she is a uh, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, columnist. And uh, for the purposes of our, uh, of our event today, of our conversation today, um, uh, earlier this month, uh, sorry, last month, she wrote an incredible opinion piece in the Washington Post uh, talking about her own family's experience with uh, fraud against uh, older adults. And, and she'll be telling us uh, all about that uh, as we move into our conversation. Also on the line with us today is Debbie Berlin. Uh, Debbie is the executive director of the Project to Get Older Adults Online, uh, known as Project Goal. Project Goal works to promote the adoption of broadband for older adults and to advance technology applications for this community. She's also the president of Consumer Policy Solutions, a firm focused on developing progressive policies for consumers in a competitive and innovative marketplace. Debbie, Lizette, welcome to the We Can Do This podcast. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you so much, John. As, for folks who haven't read your, your piece, Lizette, um, can you give us a sense on uh, and tell us the story about what happened to your mother-in-law and your friend's mother uh, and, and uh, when they were victims of fraud? Absolutely. And and actually, it was what happened to my um, mother-in-law and my friend's mother that served as the impetus for the column because it was such a such an awakening. Um, we really we knew there was fraud out there and often um, senior citizens are affected, but we really had uh, 
no idea that it was going to happen as quickly as it did. Um, but what occurred was my mother-in-law got a phone call from uh, a man that she didn't know who claimed to be a lawyer who was uh, trying to help her beloved nephew who had, he claims, just been arrested and was sitting in jail because he had gotten into a car accident and he had um, badly hurt a pregnant woman and uh, I, I'm pretty sure the part of the story was that, and the baby that she was carrying had died. And um, he was going to be in jail for a long time. And the way to get him out was to pay um, a large sum of bail. And, but the catch was, you know, she couldn't tell anybody because if she told anybody, then the judge would rescind the offer and her nephew would be sitting in jail forever. So basically they asked for uh, $25,000. And they uh, said it would have to be in cash. Uh, and that an Lyft driver would come by and pick it up. So she made two visits to the bank to get the money out and separated by one day, she called nobody. And uh, sure enough, a Lyft driver showed up and she handed the Lyft driver the money. And she lives in a gated community. So that was part of what went wrong. Also, they weren't supposed to let anybody in without her knowledge. Um, and then they left with the money. And we knew nothing about this for at least a week until she called my husband uh, to wish him a happy birthday. And as part of that conversation, she mentioned that, oh, uh, you know, my nephew is in, he was in jail. And she's like, what? We, we couldn't believe this. And uh, how did we not hear about this? Oh, yeah, but but I got him out. And that's how the story unraveled. And she was had no idea that this had been something fraudulent. She thought, she thought she'd done like God's work and getting him out and making, facilitating his freedom. And in the end, it was a, a total scam. So that was her story. And, uh, and then, so it's, it's, you know, that's an incredible story, Lizette. Um, and unfortunately one that we hear about at fraud.org all too often, um, it really has a lot of the same, uh, uh, sort of commonalities, that we see in, in, in lots of fraud, particularly ones involving uh, imposter schemes, which is what this one sounds like. It's, you know, it's got the it's got the urgency created. Uh, it's got the don't tell anyone uh, sort of isolation um, uh, factor. It's got the uh, using an untraceable form of payment in cash. Um, you know, these are all very common tactics by uh, by scammers. But just for our listeners, uh, can you kind of walk us through like how quickly did this happen from the time that, that your mother-in-law received the phone call to when she was handing cash to a Lyft driver? Like how many days are we talking about? Our impression was two days, basically. Um, she, by the time she told the story, she wasn't even clear herself anymore about how long it takes. But our impression is that it was like a two day period that this happened. She, she visited the bank twice, one on one day and one on the next day. And that second day was the day that the Lyft driver who apparently had nothing to do with the scam, um, had come to, to pick up the money. Um, and, uh, so for us that served as a major, major wake. We knew she was starting to kind of lose it cognitively a little bit. Um, but that was definitely like, oh my, wow. Um, and then after that, we started taking action. Um, and then my, uh, friend's mother was the sweepstakes scam, which somebody uh, had sent her a check in the mail for, um, I think the check was, uh, she was going to net 
yeah, it was for $60,000. And they told her that she needed to pay taxes on the check before she cashed it, because if not, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work. She'd never get the money. And so his mother thought, well, I'll net, you know, basically $20,000 if I pay $40,000 in taxes. So this is a good deal for me. And so she wired him, um, or her $40,000, and then waited, went to cash the check. And of course the check did not clear. Um, At that point, she called her financial advisor who said, no, like this, this was a scam. Um, this, this check is never going to clear and there's basically no way to get the money back. Um, and, uh, so that was a wake up call for her son hugely. Um, but what happened is that because these people then get targeted again and again, once you become a victim, you become an easy target. So she kept actually kind of falling for the same thing. But by then the financial advisor had put a system in place where she wasn't, she could only take out X amount of money without his involvement. And so he was getting these flags, like he was noticing what was going on. Um, And she was in denial about having tried to do that again. She understood, she had, she kind of acknowledged that, okay, that maybe she had been hoodwinked, but she was not acknowledging that she was still trying to be hoodwinked. She just was denying that. And, and I think that that's pretty common too. this not wanting to kind of talk about it or fess up to it because you're, you're afraid. You know, uh, stigma around uh, fraud is, is such a huge problem for, for any fraud victim, but particularly for older adults, and and we see this all the time, um, and you know, un- unfortunately, it's something that uh, not only has immediate impacts in terms of you know victims like your friend's um, uh, mother uh, not being willing to to talk about it, uh, but it also we we think it filters through to uh, to law enforcement to and, and other folks who are supposed to be protecting these older adults. We just don't take it seriously. It becomes a sort of cultural, culturally accepted that if you are a victim from, for, for fraud, that somehow it was your own fault. Um, and, you know, we hear all the time from consumers who just don't feel like they are getting the help they need um, when they realize, even when they realize that they've been a victim and they're trying to get help, the, 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 the police or other uh, uh, banks or whomever they go to for help um, you know, throws up their hands or in the best, in the, in the best case, they, they sort of throw up their hands. Uh, in the worst case, they simply say, well, you know, they use terrible terms like, you know, how could you be so, you know, silly to, to fall for this? Um, and, uh, so it's, it's, and, and so it's no reason, no wonder to me that people don't want to, uh, fess up as you put it when, when they've been, um, victims of the scams. And I also think that they don't want to fess up because then they fear the consequences within their own family, right? That they're um, that they're going to be perceived as people who then can't manage their own finances, um, who are prey, who um, and they're going to lose control, right? It's all about fearing this loss of control, and I think that that's one of the reasons that. Um, senior citizens also are perhaps reluctant to want to admit that that this had had occurred to them. In the case of my mother-in-law, we did call the police and they did investigate, but nothing. Not they they were unable to figure anything out other than that the Lyft driver apparently was not culpable. But other than that, we nothing. 
That's really unfortunate because, uh, you know, I know one of the things that we've certainly been trying to do is, is and, and I know that, that, that others in the anti-fraud community have been doing is trying to work with, uh, to, to, to beef up training, basically, to help make sure that these, these companies that, that do play a key role in facilitating uh, the money transfers between fraud victims and uh, their victims get, um, uh, th- th- there's somebody there to step in and, and recognize this. Um, but Debbie, let me let me turn to you. You know, I, I, I'm sure you've heard many stories, as I have, uh, like the what happened to Lizette's family, um, and you know the role of of technology in uh, sort of it, it, at different steps in the process from sort of the the, the phone call from the imposter uh, to uh, to to sending the money, uh, you know, through a through a money transfer service. Uh, you know, and how that happens immediately. Um, you know, what can you help us put this story in context? Like, what are what are some of the unique factors? Is it technology, like I just talked about? Uh, is it sort of unique factors about older adults um, that make them particularly vulnerable to fraud like this? Um, help us put what we've just been talking about in context. Sure. Thanks, John. And and you know, Lizette, it it sure it certainly highlights the the issues that are surrounding the scams and frauds and and the creativity and aggressiveness of scam, uh, scammers with the older adult population playing into so many of the vulnerabilities but you know one thing we don't want to uh, portray here is the older population as frail and and uh just sitting ducks waiting for these opportunities. They, you know, they are um, a particular population that has built up their life savings, that has um, access to finances, that is uh, very, uh, very much for scammers and fraudsters a uh, particularly. Uh, interesting. And uh, for for them, they want to get access to these dollars. So, you know, one thing that the FTC has highlighted in its recent report is that while younger people are being scammed in large numbers, the dollars are not as great as older individuals. So they, the dollars that are being scammed are higher in an older population because there's access to greater life savings and scammers know that. And um, certainly technology as it exists makes it easier to scam those dollars for older adults. And John, we can talk about that. But you know, one thing that I don't want to happen is as someone who has worked very hard for many years to get older adults to adopt technology is I don't want older individuals to feel that they can't go online because they're fearful of what might happen if they do go online. So we want to give them those tips and tools to feel comfortable, and we want the community to be able to help with that process. Debbie, I think it's 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 so important about uh, you know how do we how do we empower people without making them afraid of the technology because the technology can be used. It's obviously can be used for good and. Uh, for bad, whether we're talking about the phone or we're talking about emails coming in, you know, these are critical communications tools for older adults 
to use. Um, Lizette, uh, you know, building off of what uh, Debbie was talking about, um, you, know, you, you talked about sort of putting in place guardrails, uh, uh, the, you know, the financial advisor who helps set up the limits on withdrawals that your friend's mother could use, um, kind of uh, the, the wake-up call for your family and your mother-in-law. Um, and, and, you know, how, how have you, how has this sort of progressed since the fraud happened? Um, are, are, have they become more uh, afraid of doing things like answering the phone or responding to emails? Um, or is this, uh, you know, something where you've been able to have a conversation with them about, uh, uh, about sort of knowing the warning signs of fraud like this? So with my mother-in-law, we did try to have a conversation with her and we did actually succeed in having a conversation with her. But the takeaway for us was that she thought that this was just not a big deal. It's like, okay, whatever. I lost $25,000, you know, moving on. And it's like, ah, so she wasn't understanding the import of it, which kind of raised alarm bells for us. So, and this hadn't been the first time that she had been defrauded in some way. She had already experienced a lot of, um, uh, fraud, uh, via the internet. Um, she had been hacked. Uh, she had had, uh, gift cards, uh, bought, you know, in with using her credit cards, uh, lots of them, a huge amount. She had been PayPal scammed. So this had already been going on and we'd been trying to teach her more vigorously about, you know, uh, checking to make sure that it's, it's not to click on the, the, on the phishing links and how to check that. But it was it was almost a little too overwhelming for her. She was never very tech savvy to begin with. Um, so it was difficult. Uh, and then from there we were, she was getting constant calls from solicitors, constant, and she kept answering the phone and it became really difficult. So one of the things that we realized we had to do is we had to just be more, you know, we had to have these hard conversations of, okay, now my husband's he needs power of attorney. Uh, he has to be able to oversee your bank accounts and your credit card accounts. Uh, we need to, you know, start doing a lot of your bill payments um, online because bills were, you know, not always being paid on time. Um, he just, my husband then became very on top of her finances at all times. Um, and, it, you know, it was still kind of, there were, then there were other signs. So what this had happened in 2020. So it's been some years now and cognitively she's deteriorated more. So we, um, we then brought in caregivers. And once that happened, there was more control because the caregivers were on top of the telephone situation. Um, they helped her with her online stuff. Uh, so it became easier at that point because there were more eyes because she doesn't live in our same city. So we couldn't always be on top of this. Um, but you know, it, I felt like it became more and more difficult. Um, now she's at the point where we don't worry because she is actually being monitored. Um, and so in a way that's very sad that she needs constant monitoring, but it's also a bit of a relief because we don't have to worry about her falling victim to so many of these horrible scams. And, and Lizette, number one, thank you for, for sharing, uh, that I, I know these, these conversations about, uh, how we take care of our relatives as they age um, are never easy to have, um, but you know the steps that you you've been taking, I think you know show the benefits of that not just to the older adult themselves, but to family members in terms of having um, more uh, more confidence and, and less anxiety 
when it comes to worrying about, you know, how, are, how, how can we allow this person to continue to interact as independently as possible while protecting them from frauds and scams that in your case, it sounds like, uh, you know, your, your, your mother-in-law has been a, a repeat victim, which is, you know, very common. We see people who have been victims of fraud once uh, end up being targeted again and again and again. Definitely. But the other thing that, that we realized, and this is, we realized this early, this was actually the first thing we started noticing is that she was a big TV watcher. She watched a lot of Fox news. And we realized that everything that Fox news was advertising when we'd go and visit her, she basically had bought. And all of the, so many of the charities um, she was giving, you know, decent sums of money to, and it was, there were boxes everywhere and there were, when we started noticing her credit card stuff, there were just, just money going out to all of these charities. And so I don't want to say that that's a scam, but obviously that's, you know, she, she's vulnerable to that. And so that was the first thing that we noticed was going on. And then after that, we started noticing these other things. Um, so that's another kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? In a way, that's a lot of money going spent, being spent on things that are completely unnecessary. You want to be charitable, but obviously to a point, right? Um, so that, that was something else that we noticed. Well, Debbie, you know, hearing the story and the challenges that Lizette's family uh, has faced and how they've tried to deal with them, I'm interested in your take in, you know, uh, the when we have older adults and they are uh, interacting with technology, um, and you want to give them this help them build the skills to resist frauds and scams and not click on suspicious links. Um, from your point of view, as someone who's been working with older adults on these issues for for many years, um, can you tell us the, the strategies that that folks like Lizette's family and others can use uh, to help? their loved ones reduce the risk of, of being a victim of one of these scams and, and staying safe online? Sure. Thanks, John. And, you know, we know so many older adults. It's a, it's a large, it's a large um, range of individuals. So, so many older adults are sitting at their home and actively engaged online. So they're buying products, they're, you know, involved in commerce and they're, uh, they're actively doing things online. So they, you know, they need these tools themselves. And so they need to be, uh, very well aware of what it takes to stay safe online. We are all, uh, vulnerable. And so, you know, these are tools that are good for us. They're go- good for older adults. They're important for us to know so that we can help our loved ones. And, you know, the most important thing is to be aware w- of all your communications online. And, uh, you know, the first thing is resist the urge to act immediately when you get any communication. And so that's, you know, that's probably the best advice. You, you get that call, you get that online communication, stop and stay calm and think about it. Um, and for an online communication, resist that um, impulse to, to reply directly. So you see something that comes across that you've, uh, you've got a delivery, you've got a um, package, and they say you just need to reply. You've got a package coming, but they need your... Um, they need your credit card number to make the delivery. And you're thinking, huh, did I actually order something? I can't remember. 
well, you know, gee, I want to get that package. But the important thing is don't reply directly to that communication, but go to the company that you think you may have ordered something, go directly to that company. So these impersonation, these imposter scams are the number one scam at the FTC now. And that's what we're experiencing every day. Um, And so, you know, these tips are really important for everybody. Uh, You know, we know that it's really helpful if you think that something's a little suspicious. Contact a family member, a friend, a neighbor, you know, someone who you could say, you know, I got this phone call or I got this email. It's just very strange. What do you think? Um, And that could really be helpful as well. The prosecutor that I talked to here when I was working on my column, he works out of Sarasota, which is a huge um, kind of scam setter because it has um, a lot of older adults and they have a lot of money. Um, so he's he says he's just works nonstop. But he also mentioned some that were kind of basic that I you know lost sight of because we think a lot of tech and things like that. But um, well, one he said is um, that still far too many people are using debit cards too often. And he said that that's like a classic scam um, and that just people should not use debit cards for anything other than taking money out of an ATM if they have to, but not, you know, to make purchases. Um, And he also mentioned that uh, a lot of um, people use their cell phones to do a lot of transactions and then they leave tabs open, they leave their their browsers open. Um, And it's very easy to hack um, cell phones, unless you have like decent protection and not everybody has it or knows whether they have it. Um, and the other thing that he mentioned was kind of good old fashioned checks. He said that, I mean, it kind of counters like we do so much online and so we're kind of vulnerable in that way. But he said that, you know, a lot of older people use checks still to pay their bills and they put them in their mailbox to be picked up by the mailman and then they, they get stolen and then the checks are used fraudulently. They're used um, sometimes internationally. They're, you know, they're, they're used. I can't remember exactly how he said they are, but he said that that's still going on. And then the other thing was the Bitcoins, um, which is just, you know, really crazy uh, and un- really impossible to track. So those were the things that he also threw in the mix, which I hadn't even thought about. Yeah. And, um, and John, I wanted to also talk about resources if we get a chance and the fact that that uh, this is not, you know, shouldn't all be on the consumer, on the customer, on the older adults, that that there are others that are in the mix that are working on this. And so um, industry has a real role to play that that companies have uh, have done a lot to to work on this issue and that they can really uh, play an important role in lessening the burden on consumers to know that communications are authentic and they've used their own tools so that consumers don't have to always be the super sleuths in this. Um, The um, Better Business Bureau, for example, has partnered with Amazon to uh, help work on this problem. And the Better Business Bureau has a scam tracker that's really helpful for consumers to use. Um, also, the federal government, the federal agencies have um, 
lots of great information and a fraud site for consumers. So, you know, there's there are tools that are out there. There are um, partners that are working on this issue. I can't emphasize enough that we don't want to only put this on the consumer and the older individual, that that there's, there are partners out there in this that can really be helpful in working with consumers so that they don't feel like, again, we kind of started with this feeling of it's my fault. You know, this is something I did. It's my fault, an embarrassment for me that others need to, you know, kind of bear some of the the uh, responsibility and burden of this as well. That's true. I also feel like um, spreading information is is part of what needs to happen because a lot of people, you just mentioned a lot of things, but then people don't know about them. So I have to say this prosecutor, the Sarasota office has really got it together. And there are a lot of different counties here that are also doing a good job, but he goes out regularly to a lot of the big um, kind of retirement villages, senior centers, all of that to have discussions and they bring in police officer or sometimes it's just him and they have, they, they do what exactly what you're saying, which is like, these are the things that you can do. This is how you can protect yourself, which I think that's, you know, I think sometimes that's the best way, but obviously that's also a limited way, right? Cause you can only reach so many people doing that. But when you do, I think it has more impact. Yeah. Really good point. Um, consumer education is is a very important you know leg of the stool so the more we can educate everybody about the problem and the tools that they need would be you know that's a really important part of it yeah and i would add one piece on on the consumer education part that um you know the the there is lots of education materials out there from groups like ours, from uh, w, like you mentioned, the BBB, the FTC, and other organizations uh, that can help consumers educate themselves and, and learn to spot the warning signs. But I will say that a limitation of uh, many of these materials is that they're in English. Um, you know, millions of consumers uh, in the United States, uh, English is not their first language. And there is, a, I think, a, a real need for, uh, frankly, groups like ours, uh, as well as uh, the federal government and other organizations to make information available uh, in uh, other languages. Um, you know, I'll, I'll throw out there, there's a, a colleague group of ours called Consumer Action out of uh, uh, San Francisco that makes all of their consumer education materials, including their anti-fraud stuff, uh, available in uh, not just Spanish, but uh, in um, uh, uh, in Portuguese, in uh, Vietnamese, in Mandarin and Cantonese, and I think a few others. So, um, and we'll we'll put links to all of this in in the show notes. So, if folks aren't aren't sort of writing these down while you're listening to the podcast, uh, we'll make sure that there are links to the the scam tracker from BBB, the Consumer Action, as well as Lizette's uh, story on there. Um, Lizette, you know, one thing that's uh, that that uh, perked my interest was when you were talking about uh, the the DA from Sarasota and uh, the local police coming out and speaking to groups in the senior centers about this, and and that's the the importance of uh, trusted communicators, right? Um, and 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 ha- ha- you know, obviously, you and your family can talk to. Uh, your own family members about reducing the risk, but it's so important to have other trusted validators in the community who can help reinforce that message. 
Um, you know, in, in South Florida or Debbie, in, in your own work, uh, can you talk about the role that folks who who in the community can play in help in reinforcing this message? Uh, yeah, I can. I can certainly speak to that, John. I think that the um, closer you get in the community, the better. So you know, trusted sources are number one in terms of helping um, the older adult community. Uh, I I want to talk a little bit about what others have done in this regard. And it's very interesting and timely. The FTC has a campaign now called Pass It On, which is all directed toward working with community groups to educate, um, to help them educate their own peers. So they have provided materials on about 13 different types of scams directed towards older adults. But the materials are, are for community groups and um, organizations to a local, in the local community to take and share uh, and use with their organizations. And so you, they're very simple materials that you can use in a very small um organization, very small community organization or a larger nonprofit organization. And I think that the approach there is to keep it local. Uh, and I think that the more those materials and that information can be used in those more intimate community and local organizations, the better, because that's really what is most helpful is to keep that education, as you said, you know, keep it on the friend-to-friend, community-community basis, that's really going to be helpful. Also, also, the other thing I realized is the importance of starting these conversations with parents or grandparents early. Um, and I think that that's always kind of, you know, the mistake that is made is, you know, you don't know this is a problem until it's the problem, but by then, you know, they've already been scammed. Um, so, I, I, I've been telling all of my friends, I, I, I really circulated my, this particular column a lot saying, I know you have, you know, older parents or, and they were all very thankful because it wasn't on their radar. Um, and I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that this is a problem because it's not necessarily happening to you. I know it, obviously it doesn't, as Debbie said, this is not just a older adult problem. This, this fraud takes place with any age group, but, um, but they're, you know, as Debbie said, they tend to lose more money, the older adults. And, and then depending on just kind of how old they are and how they're doing, they can become more vulnerable in some ways. Um, so it's important to start early, you know, before there's a problem, you know, uh, to just talk about all of these ways of protecting yourself online with the phone, et cetera, et cetera. Like things like nobody will you know, if somebody asks you for cash, just head for the hills. Like, you know, nobody, nobody works in a cash economy now, period. So, um, so, you know, things like that, um, which would be very helpful. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it might be as simple as when you get a new device or when you adopt technology to have this part of your, uh, part of your purchase or part of your, initial education is to, you know, get an update on scams or, you know, have information about it. So, you know, something, something for all of us to think about 
John uh, is promoting, you know, education on scams is a, a link to uh, purchasing of technology. And, um, uh, and, you know, some of these, some of these tips are just so simple that it's, it, it's just, it's, it's not necessarily in, in innate common sense, you know, it's not just common sense, but it's, but it's simple tips, just, you know, something as easy as when you get an, an email from a company, you know, check check the email address carefully to look and see, is that email address what you would expect from that company? Because usually if it's a scammer, if it's fraud, it's, it's got some sort of mistake in it. Or if, if you open that email, you know, you click on that URL, it's gobbledygook. So, you know, it's, it's looking at those kind of simple tips to do that double check that would be really helpful for a consumer, for an older adult to know about. Um, so, you know, these, these are tips that we, we wish we could really get for every, per, oh, every individual who's getting a, getting a device, who's learning to use a computer for the first time is, you know, know about these scams. Yeah, and I would say, you know, the the it's it's so important to know the tips, and it's also I think important to understand that, you know, there there are commonalities that the scammers use regardless of the type of scam uh, that they are promoting. Uh, like I said at the top, it's creating that sense of urgency. It's trying to prevent you from verifying, and so I'm I'm going to blatantly steal from the BBB's uh, campaign here and and just say, you know. Stop, ask why, and verify. Um, you know, stop what you're, you know, don't give in when they're create, trying to create the sense of urgency. Ask yourself, why am I being asked to give out money or personal information? And then verify. Uh, go to uh, call your bank, get in touch with a loved one or trusted community member, tell them what's going on, and get there. Uh, advice on what you should do. Uh, I think that those are sort of good baseline tips that we can use to avoid a lot of the common tactics that we see from scammers. Because unfortunately, the reality that we often run into is that when banks or, or other institutions that uh, end up being misused by fraudsters try and put in place uh, what's known in the business as friction, in other words, sort of uh, steps that you have to go through in order to complete a transaction that may or may not be fraudulent, the scammers very quickly adapt their tactics. They may something say something like, oh, you know, you may get asked at Walmart why you want to send uh, money to collect a prize. Well, don't worry. This is, this is totally legit. Um, and, and that's in reaction to Walmart trying to train its frontline employees on what to ask when somebody comes in and suddenly wants to wire a large amount of money. Um, so I think creating uh, sort of a, a healthy resistance uh, to a lot of these scams, the same way we, we, you know, not to, you know, use an example that's maybe too far afield, but, you know, you, you eat healthy because you want to develop a resistance against the common cold. Uh, it won't stop them all, but it'll help you resist it. And the same way when it comes to fraud, uh, this, these are viruses and sicknesses that are out there trying to take your money all the time. So learning some common uh, steps you can do to reduce your risk, I think, can help 
a lot of consumers. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to come towards the end of our uh, time together. And, um, you know, I, I, I did want to talk about the importance of what fraud victims can do to help other people. Um, Lizette, you've talked about what you and your family have done. Uh, you've done an Im- immense service in, in, in writing about this and, and, and circulating your, your article. Uh, but um, maybe we can talk a little bit about what victims can do in terms of reporting. Uh, there are definitely resources out there where you can share this, uh, your stories and what's happened to you. Um, what are some of those that you will w- would recommend in terms of what victims can do to, to report what's happened to them? I think a reporting, well, there's the, the, uh, the number uh, that I put at my, the end of my column to report uh, fraud abuse. I don't have it handy there. Maybe you can, um, you can find it uh, at some point and include it. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the uh, National Elder Fraud Hotline, one 372 8311 Then there's also the FBI um, has uh, some way to report and uh, state attorney. Here we don't have district attorneys in Florida. We have state attorneys. It's equivalent. Um, so the state attorney's offices, a lot of them, like the one uh, of, with the prosecutor I dealt with in, um, in Sarasota, have their own offices. In fact, he told me that he gives people their cell, his cell numbers and that he gets calls all the time, which I thought, wow, that's very nice. Um, so he just, you know, they're doing what they can. So those are, that's a local place. The FBI is federal, the national is national. Uh, but there are definitely different ways um, of getting the word out. I just wanted to quickly tell, I know we're headed to the end here, but as I was reporting this column, something that didn't get in was that I read about William Webster, who used to be the head of the CIA and the head of the FBI, uh, Homeland Security, et cetera, et cetera. He got a sweepstakes call. And initially he was kind of, uh, you know, talking with the person, kind of engaging with him a little bit. And his wife was nearby and his wife was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, don't worry about it. And then the guy kept calling back. And so finally, um, the man started threatening him because it was a sweepstakes thing and he wasn't really playing along the way the man wanted him to started threatening him with violence and said that a sniper was going to take him out and burn his house down. So at that point um, he decided, well, let me get the CIA, (laughs) no, the FBI involved, sorry, let me get the FBI involved. Um, And so then they did this massive sting and um, it it turned out that yes, he had already collected $300,000 from dozens of other victims. um, And, you know, you know, he was actually criminally charged, but but it took the FBI, you know, he was the former head of the FBI to get this done really quickly. So it can be very complicated because the money disappears very quickly and their law enforcement often doesn't have enough resources to chase these people down. And so it is frustrating, as Debbie said, and I think you also said, John, um, that it can be very frustrating because things happen and then there's no um, resolution that is satisfying to the parties involved. Yeah. And some, and some of these uh, scammers are overseas. And uh, that's also a difficult part of it. Um, I just wanted to mention two other, three other sources. One is the Better Business Bureau Scam Tracker, John, for reporting. Uh, then there's the uh, Federal Trade Commission, FTC. Um, so, you know, maybe you can add those two. And then finally, there's a National Consumers League Fraud.org. So, you know, those are all sources. Um, so, you know, maybe we can add those in there. Sure, definitely. 
you know, and, and like I said, all of the links to all of the, uh, the, the resources that you've heard about today, the BBB scam tracker, the National uh, Elder Fraud Hotline, uh, the FTC um, will be in, as well as uh, Lizette's uh, great article will be uh, included in the show notes. So you can go back and click on those links and continue to educate yourself about how to uh, uh, avoid becoming the next victim of fraud. Um, well, Debbie and Lizette, um, our conversation today has been incredibly enlightening for me, and I've been working on this issue now for almost 15 years. Um, I know it'll be uh, educational for the folks who listen to our podcast, um, and, I, and, I, and I hope that uh, folks who are listening today, if you take one thing away from the conversation, uh, that it's, it's don't be afraid to talk to your loved ones about uh, fraud. Uh, it's a topic that it's a, it's a crime that we're all vulnerable to. No matter how smart we are, uh, we think we are. Uh, no matter what stage in life uh, we find ourselves, uh, it's one that we could all be victims of, um, and it can certainly ruin people's financial lives. But also has uh, obviously um, uh, uh, it can harm people psychologically and emotionally as well. So. Uh, I, I, I hope you'll take that advice and try and stay as safe as possible and keep you and your loved ones safe as well. Debbie and Lizette, thank you so much for making time to be on the We Can Do This podcast this week. Um, please keep up your great work. Uh, you're really doing the Lord's work when it comes to protecting consumers uh, and educating people about what can happen uh, if they are not careful. So thanks again. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to We Can Do This, a production of the National Consumers League. We Can Do This is a member of the District Productive. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or your preferred podcast app. And hey, tell your friends about us. We love feedback, so give us a rating or review. You can also talk to us through the National Consumers League's Facebook page, or on Twitter at NCL underscore tweets. That's NCL underscore tweets. Still can't get enough? Visit nclnet.org. That's N-C-L-N-E-T dot O-R-G to learn about our rich history in fighting for consumers and workers' rights, our current leadership, our education and advocacy programs, and to discover ways for you to make a difference in the world. Remember, we can do this.